Vague, which party, the Republican or Democratic Party, is more united right now? I think at this moment, undoubtedly, it's the Republican Party. But even beyond that, Jesse, we have a country that's united even outside of the traditional Republican Party. America First includes all Americans. I've traveled to inner cities. I was just in Michigan, from auto workers to the inner city, from people in rural communities to suburban. You have to think Americans have their heads stuck in the sand if they haven't noticed that we don't have a southern border right now, that we actually have a wave of crime across cities in this country, that prices have gone up, that interest rates have gone up, but wages have remained flat. And I think a lot of this left-wing media has themselves in a delusion to think that black Americans or any Americans of any skin color haven't noticed what's actually happened in their life right now. And so... I think we could be on track, Jesse, for a unifying landslide Reagan 1980-1984 style election if we make this as a party about what we actually stand for. Restore the rule of law, seal the southern border, restore merit to economic growth in this country. Success is unifying, and I think that's our message, and I think we're going to be very successful, and the Democrats are going to be licking their wounds if we stay on message. CPAC had a poll about VP candidates over the weekend. You were, I believe, first or second or tied for first, something like that. I forget who you were tied with. What was that again? Was it? Yeah, so look, I, I, what I've said is I'm going to respect whatever decision President Trump makes. We can't take the election this November for granted. That's actually the next step right here. So there's a deep bench. There's a lot of great people in our party. I'm going to support whatever decision he makes. But most importantly, we have to win in that decisive election this fall. That's my sole focus. And I think that, Jesse, one of the things that President Trump has said that I've really appreciated is that, you know what our vengeance is? Success is our vengeance. That's the American way. I think we live in a 1776 moment right now where what our founding fathers would say is, you know what, pursue excellence, do it as one nation, and if we do that, we're going to be successful. All right. Success and a little bit of vengeance. Just a little bit. Just like for dessert. <laughs> Vivek, thank you so much. Look, I think success... That. The audience has uh, been asked who they think would be a good choice, and various names came up. Um, uh, one of them was, of course, Vivek Ramaswamy. No. He's made a big splash. Ron DeSantis, who's made, making an appearance today in South Carolina, we just found out. Um, obviously, Tim Scott, Byron Donalds, and a, a big uh, presence here for Tulsi Gabbard. Um, very interesting. Um, our, and Christy Nome as well, I should say. Right. Our, our, are they all on your short list, and when can you... Our party. Some people used to say I was running because I really wanted to be vice president. <laughs> I think I've pretty well settled that question. Has she settled that question? Well, I settled it about three months ago. <laughs> Actually, you made it twice. You made it in church, and you made it just before a debate. But we're running, and he was doing very well, by the way. He was... He was knocking him dead. Everyone loved him. It was uh, tremendous religious support, evangelical support in particular. And he was going up, up, up. And I was up there. I came out and we would, I was doing really well. And I started to get a little bit nervous about Ben. He was going up a little too fast. I was not. <laughs> and he said to me, you have nothing to worry about. God put you in this position. You're going to win. We, I was running against him. He's the most competitive guy. But he said, you're going to win. God put you in this position. 
And I, I was confused because I'm ready to go into a debate stage. And he's doing so good. And he made that statement. And I always remembered that. And then he made a similar statement at the church. And uh, he's been a great friend of mine. He did a great job. No scandal. Remember, he was at HUD. Everybody at HUD has scandal. You know, they get a little money for a department house approval someplace. No scandal whatsoever. HUD, you go check out HUD. Housing, urban development, you check it out. There's been a lot of problems over the years. There was nothing. He just ran a great operation with some very good people you had. You were right about all those people. and They were great. Thank you, Ben, very much. We appreciate the job you've done. Hey, welcome back to Inside Four Walls. And with South Carolina being out of the way, and now Michigan being the first of the swing states to really kick it off, let's talk about the vice president, shall we? Now, there's been a lot of speculation and a lot of names thrown out early on. Names like Christy Nome, Ben Carson, so on and so forth. Names like that got thrown out. Now, Christy Nome and Ben Carson are pretty good choices. I actually don't have any issues with either of those. There is another side to this. One, Trump has said before, at one point, you'll probably just start throwing names out to field test. Two, Don Jr., multiple people have gone on podcasts and said, it's a little annoying how many people think they know who it is, X, Y, and Z, right? And we have this quote from Trump before. Here we go, hop right over here to the hill real quick. Trump says he doesn't think any of the job candidates in the GOP debate will be his VP. And he said that multiple times. But we see him with Vivek hanging out a lot, like Vivek's at Mar-a-Lago constantly, it seems, you know. Uh, turned out he tapped uh, RFK at one point, like a year ago, to possibly run with him as vice president. Uh, RFK is cucked to his wife, so that's not happening. Which is fine, I've completely withdrawn my support of RFK Jr. a while back. Because, I, you know, I filmed him speaking at all these different events and stuff, and, you know, what he was saying and doing back then versus what, He's been saying to do it in the last, like, fucking seven months. Weird. Weird. But all right. President Trump says Ramaswamy, Scott, Noam, that'd be Christy Noam and Tim Scott, uh, Byron Donalds, Tulsi Gabbard, and Ron DeSantis on potential VP shortlist. Now, if I had to speculate, I think the shortlist we got just a couple days ago is probably the bottom five of a top ten list. I have a personal, I have two preferences, but we'll get into that later. President Trump has unveiled a short list of at least six potential Republican running mates. Let's continue on. Uh, the president. The article is by the Post Millennial. President Trump has unveiled a short list of at least six potential Republican running mates during the town hall on Monday, providing a glimpse into his potential vice presidential choices. If the source, if he sources, vic, if he secures victory, my apology. In the November election, among the individuals on Trump's list are Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. I have fucking no way in hell. Entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy. I would like that. I, I don't think that's a bad call. I uh, It's definitely not like the most unlikely, especially with how often Trump and Vivek have been seen around with each other lately. Uh, people often round out Tucker Carlson, which, again, wishful thinking. Would be cool. Would be great. He knows how to do the media talk. He's very savvy. He's uh, he's very media literate. And he could run circles around just about anybody. Let alone the people he'd be up against. So, not bad. Again, Vivek would be great to watch him go up against like Kamala Harris. Be wonderful. But if we're doing that, I really want that Tulsi Gabbard 2.0. But again, she's not the two people I would choose. One of the two people I would choose. I'll get to that later. But let's continue on. Uh, Ravik Ramaswamy and South Carolina Senator Tim Scott 
all of whom were former rivals. Additionally, Trump included South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem. Now, Kristi Noem's an interesting choice. She refused the lockdown. Now, her Trump had a little contention at one point. Because Trump was like, we should do a little two-week lockdown. Be good for everybody. Slow the curb. Flatten it. The works. And Kristi Noem said, mm, fuck that gay shit. I'm not locking down. I won't fucking do it. I'm not doing that shit. Uh, actually, I'm going to stay open. Go fuck yourself. And her and Trump butted heads, but a few months after that, uh, everything got smoothed out. Trump was like, look at Christy Gnome, a great governor, didn't lock down, didn't buy into it, Ooh, wonderful lady. And then she also was like the first governor to be like, yeah, we're not doing a mandate. Come at me if you want, we're not doing that here, go fuck yourself. So she's actually like an example of like a real strong, independent, whamming in leadership roles, you know what I'm talking about? So... I, I don't mind Christine Ohm. Christine Ohm's a completely fine choice. She's proved herself to be a staunchly anti-establishment, though. Uh, if I remember correctly, she has a couple... She's had a couple bad calls here. They were funding bills. But, you know, a lot of the best have. Florida Republican Byron Donalds. I like Byron Donalds. I've been saying for a while I think Byron Donalds has a bright future ahead of him. He'll probably be Florida governor at some point. Uh, mark my words. Tuesday, February 27, 2024. I, I think Byron Donalds will probably be governor of Florida someday. I wouldn't be surprised to see him run... For uh, president, he's got that charisma to him, and also not a bad call. Byron Donalds is more of a quiet, sit-back type, who is very—he's he, a great attack dog. Like he's wonderful on the floor. He votes for great shit. He's a wonderful senator. I um, the thing is with Trump, Trump doesn't want someone to compete with him on a charismatic level. He wants somebody to kind of be in the background who is competent that when they go on camera, they can advocate or not argue or not advocate, but they can argue the policies effectively. Also, somebody who he can send on meetings wherever he needs them to go, and they will do the job efficiently. Those are the requirements. Trump doesn't want somebody to compete with as a personality, and Trump wants to be the big guy. He wants to be the charismatic leader. You know, no one can step to that that ego, right? And better look, Trump feeds his ego by succeeding. So when America succeeds, Trump gets his ego fulfilled. I'm not saying it's not about his ego. It absolutely is about his ego. It's just his ego being fulfilled. Happens to also be in our best interest, as weird as that is. Continuing on. And former Democrat Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard on his roster. Now, the thing with Tulsi Gabbard is, while she has changed her tune on, like, gun rights, and she's been completely baptized into the, you know, overturn the NFA and all that shit, you know, any gun laws and infringement, I, I get that completely. She lied about her WEF connections, and she's never openly apologized about her WEF connections, as far as I know. So that being said... I, uh, I, I, I struggle to trust her on that front. And same thing kind of with Vivek. Vivek does, oh, I don't see any uh, WEF connections. There's that video of Vivek kind of intimidating that woman in Iowa to vote for him. Rub me the wrong way. But right here, we got this clip here. Trump decide, uh, describes what he'd look for in a possible VP. Quote, we'll just watch it. So, so someone, who can, somebody that can someone who can step into the role. Most important. Shut up! Silly woman! Someone who, can step in, that can someone who can step into the role. Most importantly, you have to view that. The audience has uh, been asked who they think would be a good choice, and various names came up. Um, uh, one of the... Oh, what's going on? Let me turn off my uh, Wi-Fi on my phone. Shouldn't be the problem, but... I don't know. I've seen that outage a couple days ago. My my internet's been god awful. All right, well, let's see how that works. Well, of course, Vivek oh, Ramaswamy. Well, He's made a big splash. Of course, right? Names came up. Um, 
one of them was, of course, Vivek Ramaswamy. Yeah. He's made a big splash. Ron DeSantis, who's made, making an appearance today in South Carolina, we just found out. Um, obviously, Tim Scott, Byron Donalds, and a, a big uh, presence here for Tulsi Gabbard. Um, very interesting. Um, are, and Christy Nome as well, I should say. Right. Are, are, are they all on your short list? And when can you when can we expect that you will so announce your choice? The one thing that always surprises me is that the VP choice has absolutely no impact. It's whoever the president is. It just seems uh, I remember when Sarah Palin was actually picked and she did have a big up. And then uh, they just went after her at a level that nobody seen. The Republicans themselves went after gonna, what they did. But you'll be a one. I'm going to slightly push back. I'll wait to do that. I'll sit around the coffee pot. Um, I'm going to slightly push back on that. So Sarah Palin was a... In fact, she's the only good thing about the John McCain campaign. She was wonderful with the Tea Party. And quite frankly, I think she did a phenomenal job. She had a couple slip-ups recently where she was all in on Ukraine and Israel war funding. And I'm sorry, that completely undermined all of her populist, America first messaging that had personally made me become a big fan of hers and a pretty staunch defendant of... Sarah Palin. I still really like Sarah Palin. And in the history of America, I think she's one of our more fine governors. Uh, yeah, whatever. Her daughter got knocked up at the age of 16. Okay, yeah, that's great. While she was out campaigning. Um, look, I'm going to say this right now. Where is the dad? I met him. I'll have to find him in storage. I got autographs from, every, from all these people. Um, where was he? You know what I mean? Like, people want to come at, at Sarah Palin for, for that. That was a big meme when her daughter got knocked up. But it was like she was campaigning. And the real question is, look, that was ultimately... The dad's supposed to be the more competent one in the household while, while she was gone. So where the fuck was the father? You know what I mean? But it all worked out in the end, I guess. But then she came out and was, like, all pro-Ukraine and pro-Israel war and funding. And that cost my support of, uh, of Sarah Palin. Now, if somebody wants to talk about, like, oh, you know, I still get the, the occasional... She's so rushing from her house. And it's like, she didn't say that. That was uh that 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 was Tina Fey, but uh, anyway that's beside the point. No, Sarah Palin kind of threw away her own credibility. Yeah, the media came at her and attacked her and smeared her, but after that she kind of threw her own credibility away with the populist side of the, uh, I guess the MAGA side of the GOP. Republicans themselves went after what they did. But you'll be a one-term president because you've already served, yeah. so you can only serve for one term. Although they say you'll never leave office, I assume uh, yeah, that you'll do. never leave. There'll never be an ele another say, election Don't again. Don't do it. He'll never leave. He's yeah. never going. Oh, these people. Um, so for that reason, it is important so, who you, who you So pick. I think it's very important. But look, first is that, as we said, it has to you know, do with whoever is, you know, it's a very important position for that reason. Uh, you would like to get somebody that could help you from the voter standpoint. And honestly, all of those people are good. They're all good. They're all solid. And I always say I want people with common sense because there's so many things happening in this country that don't make sense. Who wants an open border? Who wants high interest rates? Who wants all electric vehicles? And they're fine, but you want to have choice. You want to go to combustion. You want to go to uh, the any hybrid. I think the hybrid are yeah, much exactly. better from that standpoint. But he's absolutely right. I've said this before too. Electric EV vehicles are or EV vehicles. Electric vehicles are a joke. They're a gimmick. They're not going to last. Look, you don't believe me now? Back in the 60s and the 70s, cars that could go into water was... Everybody thought, oh my god, amphibious cars would be the future. You even had people think flying cars would be the number one go-to in the future. Look at, uh, for example, James Bond, Golden Gun. That movie features a Chevrolet 
flying car. It was a real flying car they put into production and assembly so people could buy it. Uh, it crashed and burned. Metaphorically and literally. Look into it. They also thought amphibious cars and cars that turned into boats and shit would be the hot thing. And now we think electric cars would be the thing. What's going to be the thing is electric and gas-powered. Now, I think for if you were a smart car company, you would make a mainly gas-powered car that would have a battery supply. So if you ran out of gas, you would have like 60 miles in electric fuel, like electric source you could drive on to get gas or wherever you need to go. That would uh, effectively kind of help deter the whole like bringing on the side, side of the road thing. Or alternatively, you could use it to power your car until AAA arrived, like keep heater and shit going on in the winter and keep you safe in the winter and, and you know, in the summer and whatnot. I, I, uh, I loved it. I, I, was, I mentioned this on a podcast a while back. I was talking to somebody at work and they got into a huge argument with me because I'm, I'm uh, uh, you know, I caught a ride in a Tesla the last couple of times, you know, Uber, Lyft, and catching a ride with, you know, catching a ride to and from different jobs. You know, I rolled rolled up into a, 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 a an Uber or a, rolled up with a, an, an Uber that was a Tesla, and I hate Teslas. I have a, th- a billion and one arguments against Teslas, and a coworker wanted to start this whole argument with me. And two days later, that snowstorm hit, and uh, he couldn't make it into work because his electric vehicle died, and uh, no, it died. Like he has to buy a whole new one now because his battery fucked up. Yeah. So, uh, lol. Fuck electric vehicles. But yeah, no, he's absolutely right. Uh, uh, hybrids are the future. Uh, focusing on just electric is, is retarded. Much better from that standpoint, but you talk, we were talking about faucets. We're talking about, we should, we're talking about so much. It's all based on common sense. We want a strong military. We want choice in education. We want to have things that can really make our country great again. What we're doing with the open border is a disaster. We are destroying our country. We're going to change that fast, and we're going to get your energy prices down. Mr. President, thank you so much. All right. Moving on. During the Fox News town hall with Laura Ingram on Monday night, Trump expressed confidence in all of the candidates, describing them as good and solid. Despite the significance of vice presidential selection, Trump downplayed the impact, citing historical examples and mentioning the challenges faced by the 2008 Republican VP nominee Sarah Palin, emphasizing the importance of the position. Trump articulated that the qualities he seeks in a running mate highlighting the need for someone who can connect with voters and possesses common sense. Trump deposed, uh, disposed DeSantis's, of DeSantis easily during the primary. Then, the Florida governor ended up endorsing him. Notably, Gabbard, who previously served in the House of Representatives and ran as a Democrat in the 2020 presidential race, has since distanced herself from the party and gained visibility in conservative media. Both Scott and Ramaswamy withdrew from the race early on and endorsed Donald Trump. Yeah. Again, uh, Elise Stefanik has been mentioned too. She's not a bad choice. Again, there's a lot of... I'm hearing a lot of good names uh, thrown out there, but people have been saying shit like Tulsi Gabbard? Or, uh, not Tulsi Gabbard. People think, uh, oh god, what the hell was her name? Everyone was thinking it would be her for a while. And I just, I can't, uh, people thought it'd be Nikki Haley, potentially. Like, why the fuck? Uh, there's just been a, cr- a series of wild names thrown out there. I'm going to say this right now. It's not going to be DeSantis. That, that's, that ship fucking sailed. Uh, I doubt, it's not going to be, uh, it could be Gnome. Gnome's a good possibility. Uh, I think it's going to come down to maybe, if we're going off this list alone, it's probably going to be between Ramaswamy or Tim Scott. Maybe Byron Donalds. 
a lot of people thinking Trump's going to pick a woman, a, uh, a female VP this time around. Uh, I, uh, maybe. PR-wise, it would make sense, but I, I don't know necessarily know if uh, that's in the cards. Like, just an immediate, for what? The the immediate appeal of picking a woman? Nah, whatever. Personally, the two people I would pick, and roll your eyes at one of these for sure, it's Ron and Rand Paul. Now, neither of them would ever take the job, but ideally, right, hear me out. Ron Paul. Yes, Ron Paul, senior, the father, the 90-something-year-old man, is the perfect vice presidential choice. One, voted against every war policy that came his way and voted against every every bill and levy to raise taxes. Every single one of them, be it on a local to a state to a federal representative role. He's ran for president, nearly secured an independent run. He also got the most veteran votes out of any candidate in history. And even at his old age, he's insanely competent. Like, he can run circles around the most, most people, intellectually speaking. He's also been ins- incredibly consistent for the last literally 60 years. He's been in politics. 60 years. But James, he's so old. Exactly. He wouldn't be... How He's so old. How would you entice him to run for another office? Where would be the incentive to undermine or undercut Trump or shove him under the bus to gain political advantage? There is none. Ron Paul, A, isn't like that. B, he's too old. He, he can't run for president afterwards. He can't run for any sort of political office after that. It's not like he's going to be around to make money off of clout. And when you think about Ron Paul's history, I think there's something sort of storybook ending about Ron Paul being vice president. Even if he run, even if he dies in the role, whatever, Trump just picks a new vice president. You move on with the day. Ron Paul could ultimately tell him, like, hey, this person shouldn't be trusted. I wouldn't hire this person. What the fuck are you thinking? Someone who will be real with Trump. Someone who's also sort of a charismatic, but not the most charismatic person imaginable. He was also a little bit of an old curmudgeon in his old age. He wouldn't be the most appealing person to the average voter, but you would get all the libertarians on your side. You would get all these people X, Y, and Z on your side. And furthermore, if you're worried about you saying something too mean about Biden, let Ron Paul say it. Ron Paul's older than Joe Biden and would just decimate him. After all, we have clip after clip from literally 40, 30, even 50 years ago of Ron Paul and Joe Biden clashing with each other. They have a history. I'm just saying, look, I think Ron Paul would be the perfect choice, but Ron Paul also wouldn't be very interested in it, I don't think. Then you have Rand Paul. Rand Paul is just the watered-down, slightly-diet version of his father. Now, he may not be as strong on a lot of stances as his father is, but Rand Paul, you look at his voting track record, you look at what he stood up for, you look what he's done. Side by side, Ron and Rand argued against the Patriot Act. They also pointed out, like, hey, Bush is lying about Syria. Hey, Bush is lying about what he knows. Hey, there are no WMDs. Bush is lying. And they got all kinds of shit for that. And then when they ran for, when uh, Rand Paul ran for office, he ran a squeaky clean campaign where he and Trump took turns systematically dismantling people around them. And you get to now. Look at what Rand Paul did during the pandemic. Look at the way he was the only one willing to take Fauci to fucking task and demand investigation and get investigations up and off the ground. 
Rand Paul is one of the greatest allies we have in the GOP. I think Rand or Ron Paul would be phenomenal choices and possibly the best choices Trump could make. Both of them have experience. Both of them know know exactly where the landmines are and can curb some of more Trump some of Trump's more distasteful qualities. And Trump's occasional retardation with things like bump stocks and whatnot. They can curb that shit real hard, real quick. And be like, not Mr. Trump. What the hell are you thinking? I think they'd be great choices. They're not in the running. They haven't been mentioned. I, I personally would love a Rand or a Ron ticket. Look at their track records. Look at their histories. Look at what they've stood for. Look at what they've fought for. Look at what they've sacrificed. Rand Paul has been stabbed. He's been shot. He's had multiple ones of his staffers attacked in D.C. And he always comes back. He leaves ho- He's left the hospital multiple times, wounded, still in the healing process, and returned to work just to make sure it gets done. While he also runs his own medical practice in Kentucky. Top of the line. Top-notch gentleman. That being said, who do you think Trump's VP should be, and why do you think that? Do you think it's somebody on the list? Do you think it's somebody we haven't even considered, possibly? That being said, I've been Justin Madison, and I will talk to you later. Toodles. It's wonderful to see you all here again at such a critical time. Our democracy is under attack. The perpetrators of this attack are those who, in the name of saving our democracy, are destroying. I don't use these words lightly. Every one of us who loves this country and who cherishes peace and freedom should be very alarmed by those who, driven by their insatiable hunger for power, are actively undermining all that we stand for. And almost every single day, if you're paying attention to the news and the headlines, there is some new assault and some new attack. Now, it's the Democrat elite and the swamp creatures in Washington who are doing all that they possibly can to keep us, the American people, from a very simple thing, having the freedom to choose who we want to be our next president. And it is clear through their actions they have no respect for us and they have no respect for our rights as citizens of this democratic republic. They are so terrified that we may make what they think is the wrong choice. That in the name of protecting democracy and saving us from ourselves, they're actually destroying our democracy and taking away our freedom. Now we look throughout history and we can see many examples of evildoers who find some justification, who believe that they are doing the right thing. And so today we see the Democrat elite say with great concern in their voice that if the American Donald Trump again, they warn us he will destroy our democracy. They say he will be the dictator in chief, that if he's elected, it will be the last election this country sees. It's laughable. It is so crazy, it's laughable. But they're justifying their actions by telling themselves that they need to destroy our democracy in order to save it. It's lunacy, and it's the mindset and mentality of dictators. They are waging a multi-front battle, and they will stop at nothing until they're successful. 
I'm going to go through a few of the many examples. We've seen how Colorado, Maine, 32 states have taken some action or another themselves in an unprecedented way to try to remove the leading Republican candidate for president, Donald J. Trump, from the presidential ballots. In defiance of the Constitution, these people are single-handedly deciding that somehow they alone have the authority to take away our right as citizens to decide who we want to be our president. We see in Congress, a progressive congressman, Ro Khanna from California, someone who I've known for years, he is so desperate to take Trump off the ballot that he's demanding that the chairman of the Federal Reserve, a position that's supposed to be nonpartisan and apolitical, take action and stop the former president from getting reelected. On December 27th of last year, Representative Khanna said in a post on X that Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell, quote, should cut interest rates now, given most of inflation was caused by supply shocks. If he doesn't, he may be the person most responsible for the return of Trump. The Democrat elite and their cronies, they're using our criminal justice system to prosecute and distract the Republican presidential candidate in the midst of his campaign. As we know, Donald Trump currently faces 91 charges in four criminal cases, 44 on the federal side, 47 on the state side, all felonies. This most recent ruling in New York, the real estate case, charging him a $355 million fine plus nearly $100 million in interest for a business transaction where there was no victim or complaint, where all parties made money, so egregious that even people who are not fans of Donald Trump are standing up and saying this is crazy and criticizing this judge's decision that from the very beginning has been a very clearly politically motivated hit job. This is the truth. They're hoping and doing all that they can that they can convict Donald Trump of some crime, any crime, to try to undermine his support and therefore prevent what they fear most, a second Trump presidency. And there's a reason why they're so afraid of him, because he poses a threat to this establishment where they draw their power from. But when we take a step back and look beyond the personalities, look beyond Donald Trump and Joe Biden, what we're facing is a threat of far greater magnitude. A very dangerous precedent is being set. Our Democratic Republic is being destroyed by the permanent Washington elite. And there are people in both political parties who truly believe they and not the American people have the right to decide who should be our president. They easily and dangerously dismiss our Constitution. Of law, the voices of the American people anointing themselves as the ones who have the power and justification to make this most important decision. Now, I've only mentioned a few of the many examples. I could write a whole book detailing all that's been done, all that the Democrat elite in Washington establishment have done and are doing to try to destroy Donald Trump and steal our election. As you know very well, President Trump has endured years of attacks. What we're seeing now is a continuation of something that began in 2016, ever since he came down that golden escalator. 
Now, I've met a lot of strong, tough people in my life. I can't think of a single one who could not only withstand all that doing at Donald Trump without crumbling, but someone who would actually choose to keep fighting against the entire Washington establishment. Now, I, I've known Joe Biden for a long time. I used to consider him a friend. Do you think he could handle this pressure? I don't think so. I think even a fraction of this pressure and stress and attacks that Trump has endured would cause him to crumble. Now, if you listen to what Nikki Haley has been saying, she claims that she claims that President Trump only cares about himself and that he's doing all that he's doing only for himself. If that were the case, wouldn't he just walk away from all this? Walk away from the headaches and the attacks and the stress that he's enduring right now? So why doesn't he? I've had the chance to meet with him and speak with him at length, and I've seen firsthand his heartfelt interactions with friends of mine, veterans, and I've seen how he has touched their hearts and move them to tears as he expressed his appreciation for their service and their sacrifice. No cameras, no crowds, just that heartfelt conveyance of appreciation. I've gotten a sense for what motivates him, and it's got nothing to do with what the Washington establishment is accusing him of. This is a man who's a fighter. So look, Donald Trump has got to win this election. That's my sole focus in making sure that he wins by a decisive victory. And I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that his presidency is as successful as it possibly can be. And I'm going to respect the decisions that he makes in running the government. As I said earlier in my speech, we need a president who actually exercises Article II executive authority to run the federal government again. I think Donald Trump's going to be that man, and I'm going to help him succeed in whatever way I can. Marxismo, afuera. Afuera. <laughs> Howdy, congratulations. Thank you very much. Very happy. And you're more of a Mises guy, I'm a Hayek guy. But, uh, but there are good synergies between the two. And, and we want to bring that mentality to the U.S. So that's, that's what we need to learn. How you actually cut things down. Pero uno de los más maravillosos pensadores de la libertad. Murray Rothbard. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yes, very much so. Very much so. And so you, you can't reform these agencies. You have to shut them down as you're doing. And so I'm proud of you for doing that. You set a good role model. Así es. We want to bring that to the U.S. Tomen la patente de afuera. Afuera. You can adopt the afuera.